morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever time of day or night you may be in at that moment. Welcome to the Living the Grace Life podcast. This is episode seven, part one of our discussion on humble love. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, and next to me, studio director Wayne Dallaire, and across from me, lead pastor of Grace Life Church in Sarasota, Florida, and just back from a Styx concert, Joe Davis. How well, first you? of all, don't anyone judge me for going to a <laughs> Why Sticks concert. Why would anybody do that? But I love sticks. I wanted to bring up something really important. This I wanted to go through. I really love the bumper music you Speaking chose. It's really music, kind of okay. cool. But you mean I, the intro outro? Yeah, the like intro, the, yeah, intro yeah. to the podcast, that part so the, particularly. The, the, yes. And uh, I want people to know that this was weeks of vicious, malicious discussion of how to pick our bumper music. I wanted Baba O'Reilly by The Who. I, and I like that song. But Wayne has his own cover version of Summertime by Fresh Prince that he thought should be the bumper music. That should have Isn't been. that right, Wayne? Do you remember yes. that conversation? Yes, you weren't supposed to tell anybody that. Oh, see? You broke his confidence. Well, I did. But you know what? It's, one day we're going to break out his cover version. I like of- Summertime. Did you? Ha- I had the album. Even. You bought the whole CD. The whole, the whole thing. I don't even think back then you had a choice. Could you buy a true? single on a CD? You well, had you to could buy rip the it, whole CD, get a right? borrow friends and rip it, but that's illegal, and I would never do that. That's so let's move right. on from another discussion. <laughs> well, summertime, we might be seeing that. It's not summertime yet here in Florida, though it uh, should be feeling like it soon. We have a lot of ground to cover today in the first half here of chapter three of your book, The Grace Life: What Philippians Teaches Us about loving one another relentlessly. By the way, looking up, I saw online more reviews, Goodreads. I know this is very important to some people, the ratings on Goodreads. You have a 5.0 rating on Goodreads. I don't even know what Goodreads is. It must be reads. It's better than having a good reading on bad reads. (laughs) I'm excited. So that's a good thing. So be sure to get your copy of Joe's book either online or can they get it at like Barnes and Noble and places like that? It has to be Amazon or online. Or through me or whatever, but mostly the easiest way is through Amazon. And they can do, there's a Kindle version. I know that. And then there's the version you can have shipped, the paperback. And there's now also an audio version. The audio version. An audio book right. as well. I did the sample of the audio version because oh. it says you can do like a free sample or whatever. It you was didn't good. just buy the audio version? I, yeah, I already, I have the Kindle Jim. and the regular. How many do you buy, want just me to buy have it. I want you five of each. Do it. <laughs> if you've got a question or want to buy five of the episodes, email us <laughs> at livingthegracelifepodcast. That's livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. If we read your question on air, you will receive a signed copy of the book from Pastor Joe. We have an email today, by the way, Joe, and it's on family and how grace life is applied. That will be interesting. And all of that, it's coming up next on this edition of the Living the Grace Life podcast. Joe, we've worked our way to Philippians chapter 2, which in your book here, chapter 3, entitled Humble Love. So I thought what we would do is just start and let's read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. That's how you have the chapter broken out. And this is sort of Paul really getting at the heart, I think, of what a lot of people think is how we should serve one another. So this is going to be 
an interesting way, I think, for Paul. Before you read it, I yep. just want to let people know, because it's a little bit of a long passage, but it's important. So try to pay attention to every every word. Okay. This is the centerpiece, this Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, yep. and this chapter on humble love is the centerpiece for setting the standard of how, practically speaking, a church should love one another. So as you read that, I just want the listeners to really pay attention and don't just always oh, reading scripture in one out the other. Listen Got carefully. It. Yeah, so. this is such a cool one. A lot of people will know that. Make my joy or complete my joy. Love that. So here we are, Philippians <laughs> 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Paul is... When Paul gets going, he's a true run-on sentence. It's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> it's Thank just, goodness the original Greek allows you to write like that. But yes. what I love about that passage is if you really stop and think about it, if we had the concepts, which is what I try to do in this chapter, if we had the basic concepts of that passage in our mind as we dealt with one another on a daily basis and ran through, were able to run through them, it would transform the way our churches interact with one another and the world outside of us, and it would relieve a lot of the uh, conflict that arises in churches. Yeah, he says here, I mean, he says a lot, but when someone says to someone, okay, you need to serve one another. So you tell me, listen, I know you're thinking about this and that for yourself, but you know, it, it, you should be thinking about serving one another. Just to hear that almost makes me think, well, there's guilt I'm thinking about myself. There's a little shame, you know, I see someone in need, I'm not helping. And then it's sort of like, I don't know how to do that. While it is experiential, how do you tell someone or show someone that it will benefit them by doing this? You will, they will be compelled to want to do this without it being like, eh, okay, fine. Paul says it. I'll do it. The church wants it. You know, you get in that game well, of like, this isn't any fun. Here's why Paul's words were so effective. You have to remember historically, he's writing this in a time of emotional distress on house arrest. He's pretty confident he's going to face death. I mean, he's pretty sure that that's the next step for him. Right. So he is writing with authority from a place of humility. And so as he is speaking, his his favorite church, his favorite people, the Philippians, know this, and they love Paul. 
and they are comp- they have compassion for him and they miss him and they know what he's going through and that has given him his his vulnerability mm-hmm. his humility has given him a unique window of opportunity to speak boldly about things like this in such a way that they're saying you know what we're hanging on every word if anyone understands the importance of eternal significance Mm-hmm. and how we're to conduct ourselves. It's our Apostle Paul right now. And so he has a unique example through his humility to exert his authority. Yeah, you mentioned that on page 39. It was through this quote, you say, authentic humility, that a great reversal took place. And I circled that authentic humility, because to me, you mentioned later about being humble and vulnerable, but what do you mean by authentic humility versus, I guess, non or unauthentic <coughs> humility. Well, you know, we, okay, when I say we, I'm just going to be real vulnerable. I am very good at inauthentic humility because I know it might get me a better audience or it might get me more, more important uh, opportunities. I might say something that seems humble, even though I don't believe it. Mm. No, I'm the only one that's ever struggled with that. I know. Nobody in our audience. What are you talking about? Yeah, but <laughs> what? So authentic <laughs> humility is when you are in a situation, and this is why we count it joy when we go through different trials and suffering that we talked about in our last series, mm-hmm. that brings authentic humility. And when you've gone through hardship, you can have authority and confidence with real authentic humility that is not based upon just how you're trying to present yourself, but it is coming out of your heart, not just out of your head, if that makes sense. It does, because I think Paul, in this case, is really not trying to hide the fact that he is in prison or house arrest. He's not trying to hide the fact that he was the one that was persecuting Christians. Like He's not trying to cover up the past or put on an image. In fact, what he seems to be saying is, my past makes me a perfect representation to show you the grace of Christ because of the grace that I've received. So it's almost like he is saying to them, he's telling them to complete his joy, which I always wondered, I'm always worried to give my, I always would say, you know, if you let someone else control your feelings, you've just kind of lost control of how you feel all day. Paul, in this case, is saying, hey, guys, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It, he's giving that to the, to the church. It's, it's, it's a very vulnerable spot for him. Here's what he's saying. You guys are so important to me. Your spiritual growth is so important to me. My joy right now in life is watching God work in your heart. And so what I'm asking you to do, guys, complete my joy, knowing that you're heeding my words about how to treat one another, thinking of others as more important than yourselves, not looking out for your own interests with authentic humility. What Paul is saying is my happiness is hinged upon what God is doing in your heart and life. So please complete my joy by succeeding. And I can tell you as a pastor, the times when I find the most joy is not when I preach a sermon I think is really good or we have good attendance on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. I can honestly say the most joyful moments for me as a pastor is when I see somebody in our community, in our grace community, our grace life community, it clicks. 
a light bulb comes on and they finally get what it means, a certain significant part of living the grace life. And it fills me with joy. And so what Paul is saying is my emotional, spiritual well-being is hinged upon your obedience. Yeah. That is a dangerous spot to be in. I have nothing else to lose. You are my joy. Yeah. He seems to be allowing not only that to be his complete source of completing his joy, but he doesn't have to think about it. And I think that's what's really wild because if someone says, okay, look, put somebody higher than yourself. Think about that. If, if you have to think about it, I sometimes wonder, maybe you're not like, I don't know if Paul's having to think about this. I don't think he's thinking, you know, I should probably write them. They're look like he's compelled. No, he is, right? he is like, completely into it. And more, in addition to that, think about this. How willing are we today? Let's just take Paul out of the picture. How willing are you, Jim, to wrap up your joy in whether or not I stay obedient to the Father? That is that is a level of vulnerability and intimacy with one another that only grace can bring because here's why. You have to have confidence, not in the person, right. but in the God in the person. And that is that is a level of intimacy that does not come unless you understand sovereign grace. And so for me, the reason I love ministry is I love seeing people in my church who I know where they were a few years ago and where they are now and where they're heading. And I just love watching and enjoying their obedience grow. I wonder if does suffering have to be a part of this completion of the joy? Like I'm I'm just thinking of um Well it has it it has to happen. Like I have the, to suffer a little bit to well, to really for you to yeah, for my joy to be complete. Like he's suffering. But I've seen that a lot of times in my life where I suffer a little bit for someone else's not I take one for the team type thing, but maybe a little bit well, like it's, that. It's the whole circle. So you cannot have authentic humility without a little suffering. And without authentic humility, you can't really be trusting in the spiritual welfare of others for be part of your joy. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have humility, then you think that your spiritual joy is wrapped up in how good you are following Jesus. So in other words, boy, I know that, and this is the mistake that so many people make. I know that if I spend my time with Jesus and my time in prayer and my time in the word, I will have complete joy. Uh, alone. Paul says, my joy is complete when you are doing those things, when you are spending time, when you are loving one another, when you are in prayer, that's when my joy is complete. And so the suffering part lends to the humility, which enables you to trust the God in others to bring you more completion. We can't do this on our own. No. And the idea that you think that your spirituality can hinge upon your ability to walk well, you miss the whole point of the grace life. We desperately need one another for full joy. Yeah, it's almost the only way to experience it is if we, yeah, that's such a great example. Like my wife just had an opportunity to go over to Paris for a couple of weeks. This all came up last minute. And of course, that meant that I would be at home taking care of our son um, for two weeks on my own, which before would like freak me out because right. I would be like, oh no. And of course I want to have my wife around, but something I felt, and this for the first time this has happened to me, I was the one that was encouraging her to go. 
I was the one that was encouraging her to stay at this place. And, and I, and it was almost like I couldn't believe the words coming out of my mouth. And I felt it not because I wanted to be apart from her, but I knew that her joy would be in a way complete by going and doing the things that over there that at. she had. And then they have the, the craziest of, it's like they bump into Oprah. I did that once and I got tackled by security, but that's another story. <laughs> that's, you're not supposed to bump Oprah. Oh, you're, oh. You're, not, you're just supposed to talk. And she came back and it was to see not just her joy, but I really liked, I liked being at, for me, it was like, that's a trip. You just like being home listening to our podcast. I That's do. what you like. That's what you want to do. <laughs> but it made sense. It only made sense by me having to give up whatever it was that I thought. And when I gave up the self, I got the self. Like, I mean, that's totally biblical too, right? I want to add to that. See, I want to make sure people understand the chapter's title, Humble Love. Stop loving your own spirituality. Mm. That's not humble love. That's arrogant spirituality. Humble love is loving the spirituality of what God is doing in others. Doesn't mean we neglect those spiritual disciplines. Hear me carefully. I'm not saying that. But my joy is complete when I find that the people in our church that surround me, the ones that I count as friends and family and brothers and sisters, when I see them following Christ, I'm going to give a personal example. Won't give the last name. There's a lady in our church. Her name is Hilda. She went through a really difficult time over a year ago. A year ago on Easter Sunday, she was in an accident and she could have easily not survived. Hmm. But now she's back with us. She's back at church. And I've seen her, that's suffering. And I've seen her spiritual growth since that time is just off the charts. I mean, off the charts. Talking about having one foot in eternity and one foot here. She's in charge of our prayer ministry now. She's got like 15 people on the team praying. It's crazy. Wow. She's just an amazing woman. And her growth has completed my joy. You know, I could pray. Let's say I pray, you know, 30 minutes a day and I doubled it to an hour. That would not give me as much joy as seeing what God has done in her life. Because I'm recognizing her spiritual development is just as, if not more so, important to mine as my own work. That's the humble love. I love what sh- what God is doing in Hilda's life so much that it inspires me to keep going. And I hope that makes sense. Humble love is recognizing the absolute necessity of your... That's why I consider others as more important than yourselves. Think of the depth and the richness of that comment Yeah, in every area. Yeah, I, you're right, because by you seeing her and her transformational growth through the suffering that she went through, she is now doing what Paul says here at the end of Philippians 2, 1 through 11. He says, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's almost as if completing Paul's joy is has nothing to do not only with Paul and what he's doing and not only with almost what that person is doing in the sense Paul can say, oh, I was, I was a part of that or whatever. He sees it all almost not even for the joy of that person. He sees it for the glory of God. We are always looking inwardly when it comes to our spirituality. But for me not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, 
it is so much easier for me to see what Paul says in that last part about the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ and God when I see the undeniable evidence of work in those around me and the unbelievable pace of transformation that he has gifted not only them with, but me with being able to witness it. It's amazing, right? I mean, and there's nothing that we do. Doesn't it feel like from a control standpoint, I sometimes feel like it's a freedom in a weird way, but it's like there's nothing I can do except release that control and release that self, self anything. Well, yeah, you cannot, we've got to stop as believers depending upon our own performance, thinking that our performance is the most important thing in our life. It is what God is doing in the hearts of those around us that is just as important as what he's doing in ours. To think, well, yeah, he's doing that, but in my life, let me tell you, I love bragging about people like Hilda all day, every day. Man, that's fun. Joe, you had mentioned the word arrogance. I thought that was interesting because to me, when I hear the word arrogance, I do think of someone who must think either a lot of themselves, definitely a lot of self involved in the word arrogance, and a lot of people that do not believe or are not followers of Christ feel the church is a place where arrogance runs wild. And a lot of followers of Christ feel like the church is a place where arrogance runs wild. Right? I mean, is that now, are you seeing, because you go into starting on page 40, you talk about the signs of arrogance and there's, like, I never would have thought about this. You've got one, two, three, four, four signs of arrogance in the church. Mm -hmm. But maybe you said we first must understand and call out our arrogance. What? An arrogant church might have some of these attributes. What, how, how do you know? I mean, how do you know if a church is, I've heard of a person, but a church being arrogant. Obviously, a church is made up of people who struggle with arrogance. The church is not a building. Frankly, by the way, a building can show a church's arrogance as well. Huh. If yeah. you think about that, I don't want to get into all that too much on this episode, but corporate arrogance is not the problem. It is the, it, the root of it is individual arrogance. But the easiest way to see arrogance is corporately in a church, because it, it's so clear to me. We've all, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've always been in churches that have struggled with this. I have. Mm -hmm. uh, our current church struggles with some signs of arrogance. It, it happens, right? Human condition, sure. Yeah. It makes sense overall, but how do you then dissect that? So if you're seeing, is it about seeing someone who's being arrogant or is that almost arrogance in and of itself? Okay, I see someone, they seem to be boasting or whatever. Am I being so, maybe arrogant by look judging and thinking about it? You know what I mean? Like I could quickly distort the whole thing, I think. I think the, the first place to go to look at your church and figure out if we are we as a church are struggling with arrogance is what Paul says. Arrogance forces you to look out 
for your own needs and interests. Churches are really good at this. And we disguise them in, by programs. Uh, I was a youth pastor for, mm. you know, 20 years. And the youth ministry can be an, a, a program designed to meet the needs of the church. Children's ministry. I've seen churches, I wrote in the book, I've seen churches fight over the carpet. I mean, knock down, drag out. And the, and the question was, how are people going to feel when they come in and see this color? Well, they're not going to really care about the color. They're going to care about whether or not you hug them and love them. But the point is, a church can very easily be arrogant. And the best way to figure it out is, how many programs do they have that are designed for inreach? Huh. Inreach meaning? Meeting the needs of of its arrogant members. Yeah. Exactly. Well, by the way, I'm not judging other churches in this. I'm, I'm, this no, is introspection. No, I think what you're trying to say is, hey, we all have an issue of arrogance mm-hmm. within the church only because it is the human condition that Paul talks about here, not just in Philippians, but in all of his letters. And so the idea of having the ability, it seems like, to almost get over some of these petty items that, like you are saying, on the color of the carpet or this and that, but in that, wouldn't that be going back to what Paul says, putting the interest of others? Like, you got to know where to pick your battles, I would think, in, in, some, in some of this. And so if we are loving one another, how do we approach, let's say someone is out of line and they're like, oh, no, his carpet's got to be blue. And everybody's like, you know, that's probably you push the boundaries there. Is it something where people get together and say, let's have a meeting? You know, how is arrogance addressed when it's pretty obvious when it's occurring within the church? Well, that's not my problem. No, I'm just kidding. That's a hard question to answer. But I think you have to start off by asking questions. How much of what we do, how we spend our money, how we worship, how much of this is designed to meet our own desires, mm. our own needs, our own wants? Churches easily, and by the way, not just churches that have robes and stuff, but every church has its own liturgy. Sure. And the traditional things. Whether it's untraditional or traditional, it's your liturgy. We have a liturgy, which is we don't really have traditional liturgy, but it's still our liturgy and we like it. Yep. And the fact of the matter is one of the first places churches become selfish is in their liturgy. And you have to be careful with that. They become selfish in the way they spend money. You have to ask the question, who is this for? Yeah. Is, it, it, yeah. is this for me? Am I enjoying this so much that I would not be willing to sacrifice it if another 50 people came into our church who didn't like it? Right. No, it's a great, you mentioned four ways, at least under signs mm. of arrogance here on page 40, that the church can identify itself as possibly being in the space of, of arrogance. You say arrogant churches are selfish. That's number one. Number two, arrogant churches obsess over politics. Number three, arrogant churches can't love brothers and sisters. And number four, <laughs> arrogant churches crave comfort. Mm. That, that's a big one. Wow. That you just, that, that you hit on there. And or mm. would, are you saying they crave comfort? That's the in All of these are sort of the inward focus on the self versus the non-self. But how do you get away from, like, if I, you know, what drives me nuts, you hear someone say after sermon, yeah, you know that, I really needed a pick-me-up this week and, and that that one just didn't, that one just didn't do it for me. Yeah, I've never heard that. Jim, nobody's ever told me that before. You're lucky. I'm See, just kidding. Your Sundays are, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bad. No, I mean, 
And I'm like, well, why, why are we I'll tell you, here? Like, I'll tell you the solution. Aren't we here? Like, I don't know. That's a, yeah. It's well, you know how we began with how do we get to how did Paul get to authentic humility? Right. You know, we can suffer as individuals. Churches suffer too. Sure. And when churches go through it, when they go through hard times, it's a humbling experience for leadership. It's a humbling experience for worshipers and members. It's a humbling experience for staff. When churches make mm. mistakes and they pay the consequences for them, it is an unbelievable opportunity for authentic humility and growth. It's when everything is smooth in a church, plenty of money, plenty of people, plenty of programs, things are rocking and rolling. Right. It's at that point you might need a little bit of suffering as a congregation. And isn't that in a way considered a defeat for some of the, you know, with with churches, a lot of times the numbers become a big game and you see the growth. Uh, it can become sort of a scoreboard type mentality, not oh, just so in members, hard. but in dollars. And then if people are hearing from the pulpit, hey, guess what, guys? Great news, get God and riches and a lot of things are going to come your way. That message almost feeds into that mentality. It's like the prosperity type thinking where everybody's going to participate in this wealth of amazingness now that we've got the formula right and we're doing it right. And to me, that that goes all against what Paul is saying here, where I've done it all wrong. In fact, I'm the lowest. I'm lowly. Like humility can be translated to be lowliness. I'm the lowest of the low and the things that I've done. My joy's complete in what you're doing, not what I'm doing or not what I'm getting. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, metrics are important because they can, you know, you help you analyze, are we effective here? Are we ineffective? So there is a quantitative process mm -hmm. to evaluating a church. It's not all subjective. Sometimes it's quantitative. But I feel like what you said about the scoreboard mentality, I can tell you as a, as a pastor, I fight this battle all the time that I want to start looking good. I'm just being real here. Yeah. I'm being I'm being authentically vulnerable and humble here. I want the other pastors in town to know what's going on at Grace Life. <laughs> yeah. I want them to come to me for advice. You know, I, how, yeah, how are you I doing that? It. What's going on? Oh, let it. me tell you. It's just, and it's such a hard battle. And every time it happens that I start going down that road, I just feel dirty. But you know what? It doesn't stop it from happening the next day. And if I'm struggling with that as the pastor, Right. All of us are struggling with it. And so Paul says, keep this in your mind. Keep thinking of others as better than yourself. So what I've had to train myself to do is start thinking of other churches as better than ours. It makes sense because at that point, you're putting yourself in the proper, I guess the word would be position to understand what it is that, that others are doing. Because isn't it in the suffering? You talked about suffering together. That was our topic over the last three podcasts. And so I have a good friend who's also a senior pastor at a church. And, you know, he keeps a lot of what is troubling him inside. He isn't really able to be, he feels, as vulnerable as he would like to be with a lot going on in his own life. And so finding someone he can confide in and someone he can talk to is is important, but then how authentic and vulnerable then, like, are you conflicted in that space? Because there's only, as a pastor, like you said, you're trying to set the tone and make sure that, hey, here's the groundwork, here's what we're doing, and you're the leader, you know, always lonely at the top. Well, the, 
the benefit for me is from the very beginning, we tried to set a culture at Grace Life that valued vulnerability, uh. that made that a high value. And so I'm so thankful to be surrounded by people who know that I'm not perfect and know that I'm not going to pretend to be. I did that for a long time. And, you know, it's a self-deceptive. You think, you think you're coming across as pretty good, but nobody's really telling you what they really think. I want to hear it, you know? Um, and so, and I want to be able to, and I, in my sermons, I try to do that. And I try to model that, of that, that, that vulnerability. And what begins to happen is if a church has signs of humility, there's going to be a willingness to not judge vulnerability, but celebrate it. Yes. To celebrate vulnerability is so important. Right? It's like there's no way to love your <clears throat> congregational members if you don't know they're suffering. And the same goes for the pastor. Same goes for the leadership of the church. It's all, a lot of times it's the way that a congregation can show its love because many times leaders in the church or pastors, they are the ones that people within the congregation feel like they owe a lot to the journey of what they're having in terms of their transformation and their coming to Christ, but they don't know how to give back. They're like, I have no idea. How would I give back to my pastor? This is their thinking or whatever. But then like you're saying, when you share your vulnerabilities. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, right? This, this humble love is both interpersonal and corporate, right? So, for me, individually, I have to find my joy being complete when I see God working in others, not just if I feel like I'm successful in my quote-unquote walk. The same is true corporately as a church. We have to be humble enough as a corporate entity to be full of joy when other churches are doing great. Right. And, you know, the, the entrepreneur side of me wants to compete. <laughs> you know, the, the former high school coach in me wants to compete. But man, that's not going to bring full joy. Yeah, because it's really not a win-lose. It should be a win-win when it comes to people finding the gospel with that's this right. information. You know. So it's both humble love individually and humble love corporately. Yeah, and I think what you've just said is that's where you know that you're in the space that Paul talks about. This humble love actually comes from another place, as you've said many times, it's a supernatural feeling where inherently the Spirit is compelling you to think that way. And when I'm in that space, which doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, there is a freedom in seeing what God is doing, not what I've done or not what I've perceived I've done. And like you said, the entrepreneurial way of keeping score. I'm thankful, but it took 53 years to get there. Is that how old I am? 53 years to figure out that it's not what I do. It's all what he does. I'm an eyewitness to a lot of it. And that's what you're saying, I guess, on well, the congregation. I, right? Just in talking about this stuff, individual and corporate humble love. I don't know if I want to talk about it anymore today, because now I'm feeling, man, I'm feeling conviction about a lot of things just in the past week that I've said and done. Like, it's just a never-ending battle. You know, this is where the battle is. The battle is not how often can I read scripture. The battle is I need to stay authentically humble. Mm. Yeah. And the conviction is a win. 
right? Isn't that the point where if you if we yeah. are feeling convicted of our sin, we shouldn't if it's not about performance, then we shouldn't beat ourselves yeah. up because for all the people out there listening, you know, don't don't feel like, man, I got to be more like Joe or even as we're talking about it right now, I'm just kind of struggling with it. it's great to really be real, Joe. I think uh, all of us at this point, in any point in our life, we are struggling with something or some Mm -hmm. things. And we have a question actually from Eric, who writes us, sees a parent, you know, no struggles there. (laughs) How do parents model the grace life specifically for children? I thought it was a great question because of the idea that children are watching us all the time. Yeah. The good, the bad, the ugly. This is a great question. You know, I think the best- And it's a how-to, right? I mean- I can tell you, I think the best way is as soon as your kids are old enough to understand it, start being vulnerable with them. Yeah. You know, this is where daddy really struggles sometimes. Or mom, you know, mommy's kind of struggling today with this area uh, of frustration or- when you heard daddy yell at mommy like that the other night, that was horrible. And I don't want to do that anymore. I think when you yeah. are vulnerable with your kids about where your shortcomings are, think about what that's modeling for them going forward in the future. It's, you, you know what? You can't almost know what it's going to, that's the scary part, right? You don't know what it's going to do when you let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's but the, the vulnerability, what, what, right? What better like, thing to model with for your kids than than honest Christ-centered vulnerability. Look, I'm still the parent. Right. I'm still in charge, but I am relying upon my God to raise you and I'm making mistakes all the time. Yeah, it's uh it's one of those deals where <laughs> you you don't know when that moment comes, but you know when it does come. It's about shining a light on it, I think. And we lose control, right? We won't know what will happen in that moment. Like I know in my case, well, I found out something I think I knew for a long time was I had a son that was out in Oregon from Mm. my days as a sportscaster that my wife, before I met my wife, she, she knew about, and we had talked about there's a high, high probability this is going down, Mm. but we never told the kids until he became 18 in Oregon and then reached out and said, hey, I've been told that uh, you might be my father. Wow. And I was like, well, let's get this done. Let's find out. And they do the swab test and all that. And then it was, you know, positive. So here's my daughter, you know, who's, here's daddy, the superhero who, you know, business owner, former sportscaster. I'm, I am the no kryptonite can right, bring me right. down. And oh my gosh, coming out, my, my son was excited. He had an older brother. He was young. He didn't know what was happening. Yeah. My daughter was kind of crushed, but a lot of stuff then made sense to her that maybe she didn't fully understand knowing about previous, the, the, this past thing and how some things that she had either thought or felt kind of, it all of a sudden came full circle to her. And she wrote this essay. I remember at school, it was like, yeah, my dad's not the superhero. I thought he was, he's, he's bigger. 
because he this is what he Boom. did. I was like, Boom. oh, I was crying my eyes out. <laughs> That's, I can tell you that that is uh, that is what I'm talking about. So uh, who knows when in the future your daughter will have to call upon that lesson herself for whatever reason. And so already has. right. What I think, I think, the, I think the best yeah. way to raise your kids yeah, under, in the grace life is authentic humility and vulnerability with them. Have some wisdom. Yes, but. To know those lessons are far more re- remembered than any spanking. Oh, yeah. You walk alongside them that way, I think. And it's not like, yeah. hey, it, it just, they see a side of you that I think that they Correct. couldn't imagine. But then there you are and you haven't gone anywhere. And you And it's the same way that when they mess up now, it's like, hey, look. Well, guess what I did? It's like Paul in the sense that it's like, look, you guys are all. And they don't have to keep a secret up. from you, right? It's like at that point, you. Sh- I think shining the light on whatever it is that's going on. I don't care what, like y- you're struggling, I'm struggling with things. If we shine the light on it, in the light of the vulnerability, answer. I will tell you this: one of the greatest lessons I learned was in therapy with my psychologist. Yeah. When I was struggling with things that I was going through, and I was going to see her. A lot. And she said, Joe, the most important thing you can do is live in the light. And really, to this day, I still remember that. So huh. we are we are two messed up podcast <laughs> hosts, man. I tell you what, geez, we are like, as the podcast turns. Be, right? Goodness. Why are we giving advice? Nobody <laughs> well, <don't laughs> could be, us. right? What do we know? We well, got to get somebody we... big in here so they can have somebody with real, you know, gravitas. Understand. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they've got it all figured out. So, Eric, great question. Thanks for that. Eric in Maine will be sending you a copy. We'll reach out again here by email and give you a copy of Eric in Maine. Joe's book, oh, I Eric know that, in Eric. Maine. Yeah, you I do. Know that, Grace yeah. Life What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. You too can have a copy of Joe's book. Just email us your question at Living the Grace Life Podcast. Living the Grace Life Podcast at gmail.com. If we select your question, you're a winner. Our next show, the second half of chapter three on humble love. And we've got a good section on that from John Piper, a guy that you know, I think, from the you're all, you're a Piper fan that's, I, that's I like out Piper. there, right? He's I like he, he's got good stuff. And then didn't you say you had a there was a note or something? Uh, this is the, you this, got. What okay, this was you, one of the greatest things and one of the most confusing things. Was this a things. text or was this it was a, it was an actual thank you card with postage handwritten like in, in this mail, beautiful snail, op- it came mail? in the mail. Wow. Uh and it said dear Pastor Joe, thank you for the podcasts. They mean so much to me. It's like having my own personal Bible study with you. And that was no signature, no, no return, return address. I know it came from Fort Myers. So listen, whoever you were, that was an incredible note. Thank you for sending it. But oh. email us and let us know who you were at Living the Grace Life Podcast at gmail.com. See, you like how I got that. That was there, good. Right? You didn't even read yeah. that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm turning into a pro. <laughs> you know, I tell you, podcast, they do that. You mm-hmm. can. There's something about it being on your phone, and you can take it wherever you go. Yep. If you're at the gym, if you're, you know, wanting to go to sleep or whatever, and you put it on, and it's like comforting to know yep. it's always there. So yep. that's awesome. Well, that's our show for today. On behalf of Joe, our studio producer Wayne Delaire, and the entire team at Jump Dog Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. We will see you again next week. And whatever you do. Please keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.